0: Good morning. Quite an honor to be here this morning. I kind of come with mixed emotions, though. Um, Whoops. uh, I'm excited to be here, always excited to come and share what God has done in my life with a new group of people and uh, to challenge them and let them know how God challenges me but I'm also just a little bit... Sorry, I'm new at this. That's okay. Um, Blast Kids decided they don't want to hear you preach this morning, so Blast Kids, you're dismissed to oh, go. Well, Sorry about that. I forgot the dismissal that's okay. part. So back That's to you. all right. I, that really doesn't bother me because the last time I preached at First Baptist in Alhambra, all of my family went out of town that Sunday. So I actually gave them an opportunity to leave if they wanted to. Uh, nobody did. But um, feel free, this morning you have that opportunity as well. Uh, but um, I, uh, like I said, I have mixed emotions. I'm glad to be here and excited to share what God's doing in my life and uh, how He challenges me. But I'm also a little bit envious of uh, Brother Bill. Um, I would love to be in Florida. My wife and I got to go there for our 25th anniversary, and, uh, which was about 12 years ago. So... I'm anxious to go back. I'm looking forward to be able to go back and enjoy that. And I, I have, to, have to admit that when I told him about that, I told him about a place in Florida near the, in the Everglades area, the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary. Some of you may be familiar with that. Um, just recently there was a post, um, I think it maybe was on Facebook, but where a large cat actually came down the boardwalk. Um, as people were walking along that boardwalk, you can walk through the swamp. So I'm kinda, I was kind of hesitant after I saw that. I maybe shouldn't have told Brother Bill about that. Um, I might have put him in some danger. But um, I wanted, like I said, I wanted to share with you what God's been doing in my life. And before we go there, let's just have a quick word of prayer and ask God to bless his word and speak to our hearts. Father, this morning I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share with these people what, what you are doing in all of our lives what you can be doing. Father, I would just pray this morning that nothing I say or do would take away from your word, but that as you promised, your word would not return to you void, but that it would accomplish what it set out to do, change our hearts as we come to know you personally and trust you as our Lord. We'll just give you the praise in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. This last Easter season... I had been going through some, some Bible readings, and I went through a passage that took me through the book of Luke. And so as I went through the book of Luke and took me all the way through from the birth of, of Christ all the way up to his ascension, I was an exciting experience, an exciting time to be able to read through some of those things again. And you've had that experience, I know. You can read one passage, and several months later you go back and read through it again, and what happens? You see something totally different. The Lord brings something totally different to your, to your mind, opens your eyes to something that you totally missed before. And he did that to me this time as I read through the book of Luke. I didn't get much past the first few chapters before he said, stop. I need you to focus on something. I need you to focus on something that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And as I looked at the, the book of Luke and I looked at, the, at John, John the Baptist, and I saw the things that he went through, I realized that maybe not on the same scale, but in the same vein, I was going through the same kind of unpredictability in my life that John was going through. And so God challenged me as I continued to read about John and about his life and his preparation and proclaiming the Christ that was to come he began to challenge me on how I handle unpredictability in my life. How it affects how I witness for Christ. How it affects my daily life. How other people see that in my life. And so I had to stop and evaluate when something comes up in my life that's totally unpredictable that I've not prepared for, how do I handle that? How do other people see me handle that? How does that affect my relationship to God? It's an eye-opener. If you've never had that opportunity, you've never taken that time, I encourage you to do that. And as we go through this morning, you will have that opportunity, I guarantee you, to spend that time with God and let Him show you how you can handle that in your lives. You're all going through something different. Every single one of you are dealing with issues, dealing with things that you did not plan for yesterday. And there will be things tomorrow that you are not planning on dealing with today. How are you going to handle it? How will God shine through in your life? That's what I had to ask about myself. How is God going to shine through in my life tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day, as those things come that I'm not prepared for? Will I just give up? Say, I can't handle it, I'm done. Put the Bible up on the shelf and say, forget it. Will I continue to work through that on a regular basis? Will I I dig into his word, spend time reading and studying and learning and struggling with that? Or will I get to the point where I can say, okay, Lord, I didn't know this was coming, but I know that you and I can work through this together. And I've learned over the years that when I, before I ever start work, I always say a prayer. I say, I always pray that God will not let anything come into my life that he and I can't handle together. And he's never failed on that. So I would challenge you with that. Just the first thing this morning, ask God to to give you that and and direct you each day with that, because I guarantee you, if you trust him in that, you won't come and face anything in your day that you and he can't handle together, and he promises that. So as I began to read through the book of Luke, I began to, to read about John and about what John went through and about what John expected. And then what John found out was not necessarily what he was expecting and how he handled that. So in, the first, in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 1, we kind of get the beginning of John. We find out how John, the, John started. John's life began, and we hear about Zacharias, his dad, and Elizabeth, his mom. And we read about the... the place that Zacharias played in the temple and the very beginnings of of, of John's heritage. And we read that in uh, beginning with verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Does that sound familiar to another Old Testament couple? It was the same situation. As I read through that, it's just amazing how as I read through, the Lord says, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? I talked about this once before. Hey, do you remember when I, when I covered this with you and when you read this and I, I shared this with you and I taught you this? And he does that all the time. And so that that came up, and he said, hey, remember Abraham and Sarah? Remember their situation? And I thought, yeah, same situation there. Same thing they went through. Zacharias had been praying and asking for a child. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside the house of incense. Now, I have to interject one thing here for you. This is, this is additional, so you don't have to pay for this part of it. This is all, this is free. But this is something that I, the Lord revealed to me through this, and I can't, I can't go through this passage without sharing it with you. And I'd like to read a little bit of MacArthur's notes as he talks about verse 9. This was a high honor for Zacharias. Because of the large number of priests, most would never be chosen for such a duty. No one was permitted to serve in this capacity twice. Zacharias no doubt regarded this as the supreme moment of a lifetime of priestly service. The incense was kept burning perpetually just in front of the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. The lone priest would offer the incense every morning and evening, while the rest of the priests and worshipers stood outside the holy place in prayer. Zacharias had a a great honor, great opportunity as the priest, and he alone would enter into that. In the, the history of the temple, there was the veil, and on this side of the veil was the holy place where the priest stood and offered the incense. On the other side was the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim. And the priest had that opportunity to go before and to offer those sacrifices and that incense, burn that incense for the people, for their sins. Zacharias had that distinct opportunity. And as I read through MacArthur's notes and I began to to picture in my mind what Zacharias was actually doing, then it brought up the the picture and the memory of, of Jesus' death on the cross. And if you remember, when Christ died on the cross, Matthew tells us that the veil was rent in two when Jesus gave up the Spirit. And it was rent in two from top to bottom. And that's really significant because had one of the priests done it within the temple, had you or I done it, we would have grabbed it at the bottom and ripped it up. Folks, God ripped it from the top to the bottom. Christ died for you, that veil was rent in two. And you realize what that veil signifies. It signified the separation from man to God. And that, that man needed that priest to go between he and God. When that veil was rent in two, man had access to God through Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. What a beautiful picture. What an exciting time for Zacharias and as you think back, even into the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, it says that you, as a believer, have the boldness to enter into the presence of God because of what Christ did. If you haven't read that lately, you need to go back and read that. That is your promise of the boldness that you have because of what Christ did on the cross. It's significant. If you, if you highlight in your Bible, if you do any kind of underlining... Those are scriptures you need to underline and highlight. You need to come back to those all the time because they're your heritage as a Christian. So as I continued to read through um, about John, and then, of course, in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So here's Zacchaeus in the temple, and an angel appears again, just like he did to so many other people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And an angel appears and... And saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Highlight. Underline, filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel tells Zacharias who this son is going to be. He gives him his name. And he says this is what he's going to do. He's going to be a forerunner. He's going to come before the Savior. He's going to prepare people's hearts so that when the Savior comes, they should be ready for him. They should recognize him. They should know who he is and be joyous. So then you know the rest of the story about Zacchaeus and or Zacharias and how he is left unable to speak because he doubts and he questions what God has said. And so then then if we move into Luke chapter 3, the ministry of John the Baptist has given us a little bit more in explanation. So we begin to find out a little bit more about John. And we learn a little bit more about who he is, what he's doing. And so we're beginning to build his character and understand some of what he's going through. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas, Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching, baptizing, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make make his paths straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low the crooked places shall be made straight the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the god the salvation of god and so then john begins to move throughout the region and begins to, to preach and he's preaching a baptism of repentance And there's a passage where you'll read, as you continue to read through Luke, the people are going to ask John, well, what should we do? Another reminder happened in the New Testament later on in Paul's life. People hear about repentance. They hear about about God. And so their natural instinct, their natural question is, well, what do we do? What should we do next? And so John begins to tell them, what they should do, just much like what Christ said, if you have two of something, give it away. Don't charge more in taxes than you should charge. It's amazing. It's all in the, the beginning of John's life. As God led him and spoke through him and the Holy Spirit moved in him, because you remember the Holy Spirit filled him in the womb. So he's, God, he's God's instrument. And God is empowering him To do the things that he's called him to do. Hmm. Much like us. If we let him. John let him. I don't always let him. But that opportunity, that power is there if I will let him. To be filled and to do the work that he's called me to do if I'll just let him. Praise God, John did that and was more than willing to do it. As we move through John's life and we move to the area of um, of what he he did as far as at the baptism, Um, you remember when Christ came and John was baptizing and Christ came to be baptized. And John John said to Christ, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And the, the events that took place where Christ was baptized and John explains and expresses who, who Christ is and says that, you know, I come baptizing you with water. This one comes baz- baptizing you in the Spirit with fire. John recognized who Jesus was. He proclaimed him to be who he was. And at that particular moment, there's an opportunity where even John, Luke, gives us a little bit different interpretation of the story. Matthew and John give us a little bit more. But John sees the dove descend and and light upon Christ. And God says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaks to the Son in the water with the Holy Spirit landing upon him. Three in one. The Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but all three personhoods of God are right there at that moment, signifying who Jesus Christ is. And John's a witness to that. John has that opportunity to be there and see that happen. And then we fast forward to chapter 7 of John. Jesus is going about and he's healing and making the blind see the lame to walk. And yet there there is still that disbelief that is there. And Luke tells us that in that interim, there's a spot there where Luke tells us that because of John's testimony and John's refuting of what Herod is doing and the, Herod, the sins of Herod that Herod puts him in prison. And so we know that Herod is a pretty wicked man and John basically confronts him with taking his brother Philip's wife and says, tells him that that's wrong. And so because of that situation because of what John is preaching and Herod feels convicted. You know he does because John is confronting him with his sin and saying, this is wrong, you're doing the wrong thing. And so Herod puts him in prison. And in chapter 7, we hear the story of the widow's, the raising of the widow's son. Another another episode, another time where Jesus works a miracle and raises a, a son that is dead. And at this particular point, In verse 16, it says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. Highlight, underline, whatever you you do, it's significant. The people have recognized God has visited them in what Christ is doing. And so this report went out out about him, so the disciples of John took this back to John in prison. And the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things in verse 18 of chapter 7. And John, calling two of his disciples to to him, said to them, to Jesus, to go back to Jesus and say, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? That's the point where I had to stop because I remembered back to what John had done and who John was and the experience that John had with Christ and the testimony that John gave of Christ. Here's John sitting in prison, Jesus facing unbelief. John sitting in prison and John asks his disciples, go back and ask him, Are you the coming one, or are we to expect another? Totally unpredictable. John was dealing with unpredictability in his life. That's not what they thought Jesus was going to come to do. And why am I sitting here in prison? John's beheading is imminent. Why am I sitting here in prison? You're facing unbelief if you're the coming one. If you're the king of Israel, you're the one that's going to come and save the world. Why is all this happening this way? John says, take this back to Jesus and ask him. I need clarification because I don't understand why I am where I'm at if this is the way it's supposed to work out and asking for me. Are you the coming one? Or is there another one that we're supposed to expect? Here's Jesus' answer to John. He said to them, and I can just picture Jesus, you go tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel preach to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You go back and tell John all the things that are happening. Despite his predicament, despite what he's going through, you go tell him what's happening. Remind him of all the things that are going on, and reassure him that he doesn't need to question. And in twenty-three, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me, or who is not who is not caused to stumble. Highlight, underline. Are you offended? Because of Jesus? Do I become offended in my life because of Jesus? Yeah, probably so. More times than I'd like to admit. But Jesus said, You go back and tell John. Blessed is he who is not offended, who is not caused to stumble because of me. And so the Lord led me all the way through John and said, You deal with unpredictability in your life, John's dealing with unpredictability in his life. How are you going to handle it? Are you going to give up on me? Or are we going to work through this? And so God said, I need you to look at another scripture. Because I want you to imagine John sitting in prison with his death imminent. You all know the story of that. And I want you to, to think about John remembering a passage of the Old Testament as he's sitting in prison. The Lord led me to Habakkuk chapter three, which is the prophet's prayer. <laughs> of all the passages, He would lead me to a passage called the Prophet's Prayer. And then he led me through that, and then we got to the very end. And he said, I want you to focus on these two verses. I want you to focus on the hymn of faith. And that's what it's titled in my Bible, the hymn of faith. So I can imagine, I can picture John sitting in that prison. And I can imagine him probably not saying this, probably much like Paul and Silas. I can imagine him probably singing this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, the fields yield no food. The flock may be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. Can you picture John saying that? after being reassured of who Christ is, dealing with the total unpredictability in his life, probably at some point even feeling like a failure, I can see him reciting that. I can see him, hear him singing that. And you guys heard that when you came in this morning. You heard that song, which we're going to close with. And God challenged me to believe that. He challenged me to To trust him in that and so this morning that is my challenge to you as I take on that challenge I'm going to pass it right back to you and I'm going to ask you no matter what you're dealing with this week no matter what kind of unpredictability faces you tomorrow morning that you're not planning on today I challenge you to pray or sing this prayer this hymn of faith every day for a week and see how it changes your life it's going to change it I guarantee you it's going to change it if you're serious about it and you believe it and you trust God in it it is going to change your life and so I ask you this morning as we close I ask you to pray this prayer with me you can sing it you can pray silently. But I ask you to pray this prayer with me and trust God to do it. The Bible is full of promises. And every promise God made from Genesis 1 to the very end of Revelation, he has either already kept or he's in the process of keeping And you can read passage after passage of those events and the promises that God has made, and you can read chapters later, books later, where God has promised that and he's answered it. So this morning, I ask you to pray with me as we close and let God help you face that unpredictability in your life. Father, this morning, we ask you to speak to our hearts I pray that, Father, if there is one here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray this morning that your word would reach them this morning, that they would be convicted, convicted even as Herod was convicted. Father, that they would come to trust you and know you as Savior. And I offer my commitment this morning to you that this week I will pray this prayer every day for a week. And Father, I trust you to change my life because of it. Father, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in you, in the Lord. I will joy in you, the God of my salvation. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in our lives. We look so expectantly forward to what you're going to do in the future. And we will give you the praise in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.